present Perspective, read by Patrick McKeating. Mr Lanigan climbed the steps of the parish priest's large house and stopped by the door to catch his breath. He turned to look back down over the town, the harbour, the steeples of the several churches, the terraces of the poor immediately below. A privileged view. The day was close. He took off his hat, rang the bell and fanned his face as he waited to be let in by the housekeeper. He'd been once before, years past, a presentation made to him by the old bishop for his contribution to Catholic life. Miss Corcoran led him down the mosaic-tiled hallway, its end wall dominated by a life-size crucifixion the plaster Jesus jaundiced by age. Back then he'd offered to restore it but was politely refused. The acknowledged expertise of his later years perhaps not guessed at, in any case untrusted. The housekeeper accompanied him to the priest's parlour, chatting on the way about the Cork-Tipperary hurling match being broadcast from Dublin. He could hear it, the clamorous din echoing up corridors from the kitchen radio, along with smells that heralded a Sunday roast. The new parish priest, Father Moylan, met Mr Lanigan at the open door, eager to make a good impression. Mr Lanigan, come in, come in, tis cooler here. Is the heat not just powerfully oppressive now? Uh, Did you drive up? Not at all, it's not far, sure. Well, you're right in a way, but it does take you through the insalubrious bit of the town. I know Lanigan and Sons, of course, a bit of a landmark there by the harbour. But tis a long old way be a plain road, as my mother used to say, God rest her. Can I take your jacket? No, no, thanks. And thanks for the quick response. I assure you, Mr Lanigan, there isn't a matter of concern goes unaddressed by the church, however embarrassing. As you mentioned the school, however, over which we have little jurisdiction, I took the liberty of putting a call in to the Christian Brothers Superior General up in Dublin. So I'm briefed, as the lawyers say. And anyway, I'm glad of the opportunity to get to know another parishioner, especially one as esteemed as yourself. Ah, sit down, sit down. As it happens, Father Malachy's at the big match today and can't attend to our usual examination of the books. So I have a little time to spare. Ah, Malachy's an awful fanatic for tip. Where his people are from, you know. The core of his well-being hangs on the latest score. Uh, Will you have a drink? Tea? Something stronger? Thanks, I never drink till the work is done. Good man, good man. Have a seat. Now, oh, before we start, I'm told the marble pillars in the friary below are an example of your work, Mr Lanigan. Connemara marble, says I in first view. No, father, I was told, wood ingeniously splattered with regular house paint. Hats off, Mr Lanigan, a true artist. Ah, it's a thing I do in idle moments. I study the grain of a bit of wood or stone. Marble took me a while to get the hang of, I admit, getting the paint to lie the right way. Is it like the American modern artist there? You know the one, flickety flick, uh, Pollux. Father, maybe I have the name wrong. I've not heard of him and I wouldn't call it art. Just something I love to observe, the apparent randomness of natural things, till you have the perspective to see the pattern. There you have it, Mr. Lanigan, a truth to instruct us all. The priest glanced at the grandmother clock. Well, to business. Can you tell me how the matter in hand came to your notice? It involved one of your grandsons, I believe. Before Mr. Lanigan answered, a roar came faintly from the kitchen radio beyond. A goal. Father Molin leapt forward. Let's hope that was for Tip, eh? Mr Lanigan knocked off a stride, took a breath before replying. 
It came to my notice with a broken hurl. The boy was given the hurl for pulling 50 ash saplings for the school, and on its first outing the thing broke in two. It was the wrong wood, you see. Ah, not ash then. Sure it was made from the wood of the piano at the school. A piano? Untunable, apparently. They'd not had a brother able to play a note these past twenty years, and it was kept too near the stove. Still, I don't like to criticise a brother, but it was an ignorant thing he did there. Not not just the wrong wood, it was cut against the grain, and it had a big knot in the base. Did you ever hear anything so stupid? A knot, you say? Well, now, the heel and toe came away at the slightest tap, and when I questioned the boy, some other things came out. Ah, we're not just talking about vandalism at the piano, then. We're not talking about vandalism of the piano at all. That hurl was an offence against the natural order. I'm sorry, Mr. Lanigan. Are, are we touching here upon theology? The grandmother clock by the window slowed. I'm just saying how I became aware of the whole thing, and how you know something's not right with the world. All, all right, so. Some weeks before this scheme for raking in ash saplings, the boy had been beaten by the same brother. When he came home for his dinner, he had welts down the back of his legs, which he tried to cover up. And how did he come by them? Stood in a desk and told to read. Every mistake met with a belt from the tolly. The whole class was made to stand around and witness the humiliation of it. It seemed a harsh punishment, but I don't interfere when it comes to school discipline. The brothers do come in for a bit of criticism for their strictness, not by me. Put the fear of God into a young boy he knows right from wrong for the rest of his life. However, there was something excessive about this punishment and the grandson had never come in for that kind of thing before. The quiet little man wouldn't say boo to a goose, and here he is getting flayed alive over a few reading mistakes. There was something else behind it, you're saying. Ah, oh, no, that's very serious. That would suggest victimisation. But where is the evidence, Mr. Lanigan? Mr. Lanigan was very still for a moment, then he straightened up in his chair and coughed to clear his throat. There was talk of an earlier incident. Nothing to do with my grandson, may I point out. The brothers and boys were delayed getting into the school one morning because some boy who acted in a maggot had put stones in the lock of the gate. The guilty party was never caught. The talk was that my grandson was made a scapegoat for it. Now we're getting to it, are we? No, that wasn't the thing. The thing of it didn't come out till another grandson let slip something last Monday. You'll know to what Monday I wrote to you. Weeks after the stones in the lock and welts in the legs and the hurl made out of the wrong sort of wood, Father Moylan reached for a notebook on his desk. Just a moment, Mr. Lanigan. I think I'll make one or two notes to get the chronology straight in my head. Another roar of the crowd on the radio penetrated the sticky air. Tip again, let's hope. Are you sure you don't want to drink? I'm nearly there, Father. Let nothing dismay you, Mr. Lanigan. Bear with me. The priest wrote on the pad, saying aloud the key words as he inscribed them. Stones in lock, punishment of boy, victimization question mark, prize of hurl, destruction of piano, in brackets, altogether wrong sort of wood, underlined. Right, he looked up again. Crack on, sir. Well, after the stones and the lock incident, here's your brother going round the class while they're trying to do some exercise to keep them busy, interrogating the boys one by one, you see, trying to drag the name of the stones and the lock merchant from them. And did any of them snitch? The devil did they. 
a pattern ingrained in the hard stone of our republican heritage. An honourable tradition to be sure. Of course not beyond, and didn't he, the brother, also fail to extract the name of the artful stones and the lock dodger from my grandson? He did. Presumably the same as the other boys, so then why, why was he victimised? Exactly. The grandmother clock struck endlessly. The parish priest checked his watch. Well, Mr. Lanigan, there's our question. Clear as the water in St. Mogg's well. Why was he victimised? I'll be glad to make representations to get the right result here, Mr. Lanigan. He be called and stood in the superior general's carpet and asked to explain himself. Well, now, how about that drink? A little preprandial pick-me-up. What's your poison, Mr. Lanigan? Mr. Lanigan hesitated. He appeared daunted, as if in need of some encouragement. Would you have a whiskey? A man after my own heart. Now, I could bewitch and bewilder you with the choice I have on offer here. What's your leaning? Irish? Scotch? Bourbon? Uh, Bushmills? The choice of a connoisseur. Irish with a pronounced tip of the cap to our American cousins. I have original. Or if you want to venture more boldly, Black Bush. Original will do me fine. Original it is, so... The hurling match was over. The whiskey's work was done. May I ask, what had you in mind by way of the right result for the brother? Of course you can ask. Doesn't he have a sick mother in Ballangatty? Worth that. Little country place in Limerick. The Superior General agreed. If we thought it could give rise to any kind of scandal in the last resort they'll relocate him. As it happens, they have another school there. They'd give out that he was undergoing an emotional crisis, the sick mother, etc., that gave rise to a misjudgment in the use of school property, to wit, the vandalised piano, etc., etc. I see. Harsh, some might say, but distinguished parishioners like yourself need to know I'll take appropriate action on their concerns. Ah, Miss Corcoran, who won? Cork, Your Grace, the dinner's ready. Oh no, I fear a week of black looks from Father Malachy. I think Mr. Lanigan and I are almost done. I'll get his hat so. Well, Mr. Lanigan, any other worries, don't hesitate. A pleasure to share a drink with you. They'll send him to another school, will they? Probably. I'd say definitely now. Best thing all round, don't you think? The hell I do. Uh, what do you mean? When they have him up, stand in there in that bit of carpet where they get him to explain the licking. Licking, the smooching, the tongue in the ear, tongue, the hand down the shirt, down the, the hand on the Mr. Lanigan. That brother was a suitor scorned, a pederast deprived. I've no doubt it's a question of a singular bad apple. They have a pervert among their number. Mr. Lanigan, let's look at this Camley now. We, we wouldn't know where a thing like this could end. I know exactly where it'll end unless steps are taken to ensure that bastard never gets to lay a hand on another child, not to mention make another graceless ill-begotten her. Another school! Buried in the wilds of the country, are the children of County Limerick more expendable? The grandmother clock needled and nagged as Father Molan thought the matter through. He took a deep breath. Let me put another call into Dublin. As the door of the parish priest's house closed behind him, the fetid air hit Mr. Lanigan's face like a damp flannel, shortening his breath. Ah well, the walk would not be long and the dinner would be waiting for him. His appetite was all the keener for the satisfaction of a job well done. The brother would be quietly retired to civilian life, his teaching certificate withdrawn. He'd find work in the tobacconists the mother could no longer run. 
Mr. Lanigan smiled, another commission in his pocket, to give the residence's crucified body of Christ a fresh bloom of life. As he descended from the heights, gravity in the steep incline exaggerating the spring of his step, Mr. Lanigan happily set himself to thinking about the veins in a hanging body. How blue, how pale in the arms, how prominent in the feet. The story was written and directed by Patrick O'Connor and sound engineering a music compilation by Robert Burgess. This was an old Dolly production. <laughs>